You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, happy Father's Day. It's a great day. I love Father's Day. It's my day. Yes. There were many Father's Days that I'd be in services, and I'd be like, one day, one day. But you know what? Really, today, I want to just acknowledge men in general. There may be men in this room that maybe don't have biological children. And maybe one day you will have a biological child, or maybe you are a spiritual father to someone else, or God is calling you to be a spiritual father to someone else. You see, in the kingdom of God, we're a family. And we're called to disciple and to raise up and mentor those who are young in the faith. Show them the ropes, so to speak. Show them what it means to live a fruitful life serving God, what it means to walk into the kingdom of God and be effectual in serving God and loving God. And and so, happy Father's Day. You know, when I think about, about fatherhood, it's taken so many different twists and turns. You know, I was, my first child was Sophia, and she was a little girl. And I don't know why, but my, my feelings towards Sophia are so different than Everett. Like, and I, and I love them both equally, but the way that I engage with them is often so different. You know, Sophia, she loves, you know, to, to be a little bit more tender and compassionate and, you know, ride on my shoulders and and, you know, we play this little game where we pretend to, like, give me a little kiss right here. And then she goes, did you sneak the little one on the lips? And but she just thinks it's hilarious. And then she tries to do it to me. And Everett is just kind of like, yuck, don't kiss me, you know. Um, but men and women are so different, aren't we? You know, and, and the role of the father is so crucially important uh, in the life and the development of family and in children and in society. And I think so often, even us men, we shortchange ourselves, but how important we are. And we're in this weird time today where, you know, where we're all about equality. But then somehow, throughout the mix of it, sometimes men feel like they don't know where they stand in it. That they want to advocate for their women and their young women and their, their wives to be able to be equal in any way and to be able to pursue what they want and do what they are. And then sometimes men don't know what that means. Does that mean that I have to diminish myself or not try as hard or not, you know, not compete on the sa- in the same way in the world? And there's so many different competing ideas about what is masculinity, what it means to be a man. And ultimately, we can't look to the world to tell us what it means to be a man. But ultimately, we have to look to God. So what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And then secondly, what does it mean to be a man of God, a godly man or a godly woman? Father's Day is that day when we acknowledge and appreciate the men who have had an impact on our lives. You know, for some of us, it was our biological fathers. For some, it may have been an uncle or a neighbor or a grandparent or a coach or a teacher or a pastor or a mentor, or a neighbor. But hopefully all of us have had men in our lives that have helped shape us and form us and contributed to our lives to make us who we are today in a positive way. 
You know, like I was saying, the role of a father is so important, yet we so often underestimate the role of a father and the role of a man. You know, researchers tell us how vital they are. I recently watched a TED Talk where a woman named Marilyn York shared about her experience representing men in divorce hearings for over 20 years. She shares some startling data about the effects of fatherlessness on society that is becoming more and more of an epidemic. According to the Center of Disease Control, 90% of homeless and runaway teens come from fatherless homes. Children that grow up without a father or with an absentee father account for 71% of high school dropouts and 63% of youth suicides. When there's an absence of good men in children's lives, it's destructive. Women and, and, and moms are so important, but they can never fill the role of a father. They were called to fill the role of a mother, ultimately. And some women that are single moms do an amazing job trying to handle both. But you were never created to be a father and a mother. You were created to be a, father, to be a mother. And men were created to be fathers. And God has given us each attributes of himself that when we come together, man and woman, and make a family, that God has given us each parts of us that represent who God is, that when they come together, they make a powerhouse to be able to raise a family and a child, and both parts are necessary for full health as God intended. You know, about 30 years ago, a child psychologist named Michael Lamb said, fathers are the forgotten contributors to family and social development. Research tells us that children with involved fathers have stronger cognitive motor skills, elevated physical and mental health, are better problem solvers, are more confident on average, and have better empathy. You know, today, the leading contributions of fatherlessness are primarily divorce and out-of-wedlock births. And they're becoming more and more common. There's been a cultural shift where the values of family and the value um, of what a godly family looks like and the nuclear family is being eroded all the time. And it creates excess complications for society and difficulties in family life that otherwise maybe wouldn't need to be there. And it makes life a lot more complicated. You know, fathers and men are so important in society. We need strong male role models. We need more godly men. But ultimately, whether you had a good growing up years with a good healthy father who uh, loved you and took care of you or not, ultimately we all have a heavenly father that we sung about this morning. And for us, our spiritual life and our growth is connected to who we are in him. And I love the words of good, good father. The fact that our identity is rooted in the fact that we are loved by our heavenly father. That we are loved. That is who I am. A child of God. You know, over the past 10 years, um, I've been quite involved in youth ministry and I've been increasingly becoming more and more aware of the great responsibility we have as the church to raise up the next generation. You know, Christian parents, you ultimately are the first line of defense when it comes to discipling and raising up your kids um, to know God. 
and youth pastors and volunteer youth leaders and those in the church are here to come alongside of you and support you and do the best that we can to, to help encourage you in that. You know, but for many youth that come to know Jesus as a teenager, such as myself, I didn't have a godly family to rely on. Everything that I was trying to conform my life to was contrary to what my family did. And my dad is actually, was really good and actually encouraging me, even though he wasn't really part of the journey. I remember my brother was kind of making fun of me for, um, and ragging me a bit about reading my Bible in the mornings before school. And so my dad went and he found out about these Bibles that look like magazines. It's a New Testament and a kid skateboarding on the front and looked really cool. And I got that and my brother never even noticed, never even knew it was a Bible. I used to bring it to school with me. It was a cool little thing that I could stick in my locker and I didn't really stand out. But, um, and I could still engage with the Word of God out in public and not feel like I had a spotlight on me. But back then, I didn't have the same level of security that I have now, knowing who I am. I was new to the faith, and everywhere I went, at home, at school, everywhere but the church, was a foreign environment that was trying to pull me away from the realities of the kingdom of God that God was instilling within me to become a man of God. You know, we have the generation as the church, have the responsibility to reach our generation and to invest in them, to teach them what it means to be a man or a woman of God. And it goes beyond just the role of parents or those super grandparents that take on that role of helping parent their grandchildren at times. You know, every single one of us, whether you have kids or not, are called to disciple, to mentor, to invest in others. And at any point in this church, we're going to see people of all different parts of the spectrum of spiritual health. We're going to have to see new babies that are brand new in the Lord that need a little bit more help and seasoned believers and everything in between. But all of us are on a growth journey. And we can all learn from one another. And there's nobody, including Pastor Hayward, that has fully arrived, you know, that he's learning new things every day just as all of us are. And uh, we need one another. And we need more godly men that can fill that gap for those that don't have godly men in their lives. You know, men who love God, men who know who they are in Christ, men who walk out righteousness, live lives that are integrous or honest, do what they say when they're going to do it, men that don't break their promises, men who protect those who are disenfranchised, those who will fight for their family when things get hard, those who will love and cherish their wives as God directs us to in Ephesians and to be a godly example in the home, in the community, in the workplace. You know, today I want to touch on three aspects of what it means to be a man or a woman of God. The first I've already touched on a little bit, but that is a man of God is a child of God. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ and choose to follow God. The Bible says that you become a child of God. You become part of the family of God. And you have the opportunity to know and experience the love of a heavenly father. Whether you had that love from an earthly father or not, you now have a new heavenly father who loves you and who's pursuing you and who pursued you even when you didn't know his name, who sought you out when you hated him when you disregarded him and didn't believe in him. 
You know, we have a God who is a compassionate and gracious God, who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. When you become a Christian, you also gain brothers and sisters in Christ. You gain other people who are also on that spiritual life journey. People that you will share fellowship with God with forever in eternity. And they're an amazing gift to one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're people that will pray with you and walk with you through the challenges of life. Those who will celebrate with you when you reach those milestones in your life. You know, a man or a woman of God is a child of God. God has given us the perfect example on how to live a godly life. And that is through the person of Jesus Christ, his son. We also have his word and the Holy Spirit that guides us and teaches us and comforts us and leads us every day if we will allow him to. Charles Stanley says that we stand securely in God's love because of Christ and not by our own merit. You know, sometimes I think we, we get into habit loops where we think that we have to do certain things and, and be really good so that God will love us. But the truth is God loved you while you were still a sinner, the Bible says in Romans. That while you were a sinner, God sent his son to die for you. That God's love for you today is not contingent on if you slip up tomorrow or not. You are a child, just like any of you that have parents you know your kids are going to slip up sometimes. Your kids aren't always going to listen to you perfectly. You know, even the subtle things, like when you leave the laundry hamper filled with clothes at the bottom of the stairs, all they have to do is carry it upstairs. And you come by and they've been back five or six times and then you end up picking up that basket and carrying it upstairs to their room. I know you. Sometimes you use subtle hints. And sometimes God uses subtle hints too. Sometimes it's direct. It's like in the word of God. It's like, bam, this is what I want you to do. But other times the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding us. We miss the mark. Sometimes we're, we're, not always, we're not always attuned to what God is saying to us in the moment. But God's love is not contingent on our behavior. God is love. And his love is a supernatural love that goes far beyond the type of love that we can understand in our human ability that is so often dependent on people's behavior. That if you do X, Y, and Z and behave a certain way, then I will love you. Or if you stop loving me, then I'm not going to love you back. God doesn't operate that way. God has an endless, everlasting love for you. And he loves you. We are loved by God, period, so you can rest and experience God's love today and tomorrow as hopefully you will continue to surrender your life to him as he will guide you and show you what it means to live righteously, how to obey his word, learning to love God and experience his presence so that you can then love others around you. You know, 1 John 1, 3, it says, see how God, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Since becoming a father, you know, I think especially since having a son, I've become aware of this great responsibility given to me to help my little boy eventually grow to become a man. And as all of you will probably know in here, there's a difference between being a man and a boy. And there's also um, a difference between being a man-child. 
you know, there are a lot of boys that can shave. Um, and sometimes you find the rare character who is a man in, in a young man's body. He has wisdom and character and integrity of someone far older than who he is. But God has called us to grow and to become men and women of God. You know, growing up, I don't really remember ever having that sit-down conversation with my dad about what it means to be a man. I don't know if any of you did, any of you guys in the room, if you had someone sit down and tell you, this is what it means to be a man. I never had one of those conversations with my dad. But there were many defining moments in my life watching him, listening to him, interacting with my dad that helped me give context and create context for what it means to be a good man. You know, my parents separated when I was 12. And I shared the story this morning about the first time I shaved. And I don't know about you men, but maybe you guys were like really jazzed when you started getting facial hair. And you're starting to grow it out and you had one of those nasty rat stashes that you just didn't want to shave off because you're just so, you know, just jazzed about it and showing off everybody. Look at, look at here. Look, I got a hair on my chin. Well, I wasn't like that at all. I was the first one of all my friends to start getting some facial hair, but I didn't notice that it was happening. And so what happened is I was at lunch in grade seven. My dad had left, had, my parents had separated. My dad wasn't living at home at that time. And I'm sitting at lunch, and this kid looks across from me at the lunch table and says, is it a full moon? And I was like, what? And he says, are you a werewolf? You look like a werewolf. And he starts bugging me that I look like a werewolf. And I'm like, what the heck? And I go and look in the bathroom, and unbeknownst to me, I have this nasty little rat stash and little, little sideburns. And I was like horrified. And I was like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I look out for full moons now. No, but I actually don't. But it really left a mark on me. It made me really insecure about my facial hair. None of my friends were shaving yet. So I just felt like this weird like circus freak anomaly. Like, oh my goodness, look at the bearded woman. Look at this bearded 12-year-old boy. And so I was really cautious, but I went home and I found one of my dad's old Bic razors in a drawer and I shaved for the first time just with water because I had no shaving cream and I think I did a pretty good job. Nobody even mentioned anything in my household about it, and no one ever mentioned anything again. And then that following Sunday, or summer, I was at summer camp, and I was really nervous because I'm like, none of the guys in the cabin are shaving yet, and now I need to figure out how I'm going to shave so that they don't see me. So anyhow, one night after everyone was asleep, I got up and went into the outhouse with a one-blade yellow Bic razor, and there was this little piece of broken glass that was on the back of the door that I used as my guide and my flashlight. And, and I shaved. And I thought I did a pretty good job. The next morning, I woke up, got out of bed. And my council, council, camp counselor was like, oh, my goodness, what happened to your face? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're like sliced up. Like you look like you got in a fight with a badger and lost. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And so anyhow, he was horrified. He thought he was going to get fired or going to get in trouble because, like, I looked so mangled. I had no idea. So he took me to the, to the camp counselor's special washroom where he gave me a new razor that wasn't the single-blade Bic, and he taught me how to shave. And that was how I learned how to shave from one of my camp counselors. You know, I have a little boy. He just turned three. And, man, is he a little fireball. I don't know if you've met him. He has red hair. Um, he's very active. He's a boy's boy's man's man type of boy. He, in a lot of ways, he has a lot more masculine characteristics than I do. You know, for example, a loud truck goes by with a loud muffler and he's super entertained by it. He loves it. Anything sports, he's just obsessed. You give him a stick or a ball, he'll play with it for an hour. 
everything is a battle. He sees the world as this epic cosmic battle in which he is the world's greatest superhero, and he is out to save the world. And every day, he'll just randomly jump off the couch and, hey, 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 hey. We're like, what are you doing every day? He's like, I'm fighting the bad guys. They're gone. You know, and I know sometimes I just think about masculinity because I'm one of those guys that's like, that's kind of the chatty Cathy, right? You know, I'm the guy that likes to chat. A lot of guys don't like to chat. Sophia likes to chat. So me and Sophia get into amazing conversations and Everett just looks bored, yawns, and goes and starts hitting something. But, you know, it's going to be very interesting raising this little boy who is just so stereotypically male. But the truth is that masculinity is really on, on a much, quite a sliding scale. There's a lot of what it means to be a man. And there's certain characteristics of manhood that we have amplified as a society and said, this is, this is a little box of what it means to be a man, to be masculine. And it's a small little box. And as soon as someone doesn't fit in there, they feel somehow maybe less of a man. Or they feel like there's something wrong with them. And society, we need to do a better job as men of showing that there's a broad spectrum of what it means to be a man. That it's not just that you have to like trucks and you have to like swords. You have to like certain things. That it's, it's about integrity. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing who you are and being a leader, being a protector, being a warrior in a way. And that might be warring, warring with a pen like Shakespeare or warring with a sword like Joshua. But God has a plan for every single one of you men. It doesn't matter what your aptitude is. Does not, your behavior, things like that, your aptitude does not make you any more or any less of a man. You know, I could laugh. The other day, I, I literally opened my fridge and there was a sword sitting on the shelf. And that is Everett, you know, and, and he thinks he's an epic battle. And the truth is we are in an epic battle. There's a battle going on right now. A battle for our lives, a battle for the lives of our children, for our neighbors, a battle between darkness and light, the kingdom of light and darkness. And so we have to be made aware that there is this battle coming and is raging. And we want to be on the right side of it. You know, so what exactly does it mean to be a godly man? Well, Genesis 127, we learn that God created man and woman after his own image. And that meant that we were created to reflect his character here on the earth. However, sin tainted humanity. And in Romans 5:12, it says, When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered the human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity. That's the Passion Translation, if you're wondering. So as a result, God did a few things. God didn't just abandon hum humankind, but God engaged with us. And he chose Abraham and made a covenant with him, and through Abraham and his descendants came Israel, a people that were called by his name, that would, were called to represent him in the world. In Leviticus 26, 11, it says, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. What's amazing about that is that from the very beginning, God created us to be in relationship with him. God created us to be in relationship with him. Sometimes we think about the God of the Bible somehow is more distant, of the Old Testament is somehow more distant or 
or less relational somehow, or this angry tyrant. But it's really not so. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And God wanted relationship with men then just as he does now. So a godly man lives in fellowship with God. A godly man is humble, acknowledges that they need God. And they're willing to live a life in surrender to God, reflecting his nature and his heart to the world around us. God came to earth as a man and showed us what it meant to live a godly life in human terms, in practical ways. I shouldn't have sang through that second service. See, Jesus was the only man to ever live a perfect life, a life perfect, perfect in the sense that he was fully obedient to God the Father at all times. Jesus is God the Son in the flesh, and the Spirit of God works in our lives today, just as God, the Spirit of God worked in Jesus' life and is working to conform us to the image of Christ. So a godly life is a Christ-centered life, one where we begin to look more and act and think more like Jesus as we grow in the knowledge and the love of God. So number two, a man of God is growing in maturity. You know, there's an old saying that if you're not growing, you're dead. You know, in the plant world, that's pretty much true. If you stop growing, it means that you're dying. And so for us in our spiritual lives, we want to always be growing. It doesn't mean that growth season will always look the same. But we want to be growing. We don't want to be staying the same. Because really, if we're staying the same, we're not, you know, we're actually moving backwards because the world around us is going to change. Colossians 1.28 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see, God has a plan to mature us, to grow us and conform us into his image. And we need to ask ourselves some questions. If we're feeling like we're kind of stagnant in our spiritual growth right now, I just want to encourage you to ask some questions. Are you pursuing God? Are you spending time in his word and communing with him? Are you reading the Bible? Are you engaging in Christian fellowship? I know that this one's a little bit different now with the whole COVID situation, but it's still vitally important. Even if you're doing it through a phone call, through a Skype, through a Zoom call, we need connection. We need one another or else, or else we're, not, we're gonna struggle to grow. You know, if... I'm going to skip that. So we need one another. First uh, Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. You know, some of us, actually I would say all of us, have certain areas of our life that we probably could use some growing up in, especially growing up in the ways of God. You know, there's none of us that are walking out their spiritual life perfectly. There's areas where there's resistance in us to wanting to do what God's calling us to do because we're, maybe we're used to doing something a certain way. Or maybe it makes us feel comfortable to do something a certain way. Or maybe doing it fully God's way is just scary. We don't know what will happen if we relinquish that bit of control that we have over our lives. But ultimately, 
God wants to be our Lord and Savior. Not just our Savior, our Lord, which means that we live in obedience to him. And our spiritual growth is something that we don't need to compare with other people. You know, there are a lot of people that if I were to start comparing my spiritual life to others, I could feel this big in about two seconds. Because I have these grand perceptualizations about how close someone else is to God or seeing the things that God is doing in other people. But really, we don't need to be doing that. We need to be looking to Jesus. He is, I guess, our benchmark, which is perfection. But then we need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves questions like, am I closer to God today than I was a year ago? Do I have a greater depth of theological understanding about what I believe? And do I know why I believe it? more now than I did two years ago or six months ago? And if not, what do I need to do in my life to grow? How do I need to position myself? What friends do I need to make? What do I need to read? What do I need to meditate on so that I can grow? Godly men should be growing in their spiritual lives. We need to be supporting others in the spiritual journey as well. You know, if there's anything I could say about men is that we are different than women. Would you guys agree? Men are different. We think differently than women. We're motivated differently than women. We behave differently often than women. You know, Marilyn York, that lady, the lawyer that deals with divorce cases, you know, she, she talks in her talk about the different questions that lawyers ask men versus women in divorce hearings. And the typical questions that a lawyer will ask a man to try to discredit him or make him look like maybe he loves his children less are questions such as, what school do your kids go to? What's the name of your kid's teacher? The name of their dentist? What grades did they get on their last report card? You know, often nine out of 10 times, dads aren't very good at answering these questions. Sometimes the kid, the dad doesn't even know the name of the school that their kid attends. But this doesn't mean that dad doesn't love the kids just means that men and women are different. We look at different things. We prioritize different things sometimes. She highlights how there's different types of questions that she always asks the men that often women struggle to have answers to or they have to think about really hard. There are questions such as this. If your son was a superhero, what would his superpower be? What kind of monsters do your kids fear? How high does your daughter feel comfortable going in a swing? before she asked you to stop pushing. What makes your son feel defeated? You see, men interact with kids differently. You know, like when I'm pushing Everett, he wants to know how high can I go, and I'm pushing him as high as he can go until I think he's able to fly out of the swing. Rhea doesn't like it. Mostly because our, our poor swing in the backyard lifts off the ground when he gets going that high, and she thinks the whole thing's gonna flip over. I tell her my hand's on it, he's safe, but she doesn't believe me. You know, um, she tells a story, Marilyn, I didn't share this story in in the first service, but I think it was kind of a funny story that I'm just going to share with you guys because Rhea's not here anymore. Yeah. Rhea's not here to censor me. Go ex-nay on... Okay. So she tells this funny story about when she's a kid, Marilyn, and to differentiate between her mom and her dad. She says her dad set up an Easter egg hunt where he took those plastic eggs and put in a $5 bill in the golden egg and hid the golden egg. And so she went searching through the yard to find the golden egg, found the golden egg and realized there was five bucks in there. Woohoo to a kid, that's like a million bucks. And so the next Easter comes around 
And she's super excited. She's like, I know there's a golden egg out here. Last year I got $5. Who knows? Maybe this year it'll be 10 or $20. And so she goes hunting diligently for this egg. And eventually she does find it in the top hole of her swing set. And so she takes a little stick and she pokes it out, knocks it onto the ground. And she opens up the egg. And inside the egg is a perfectly formed dog turd. And her father comes by and is just laughing hysterically. And says, you know what? Last year you got to learn the lesson that when you work really, really hard and diligently, life will reward you. This year you get to learn that sometimes you'll work equally as hard and you'll end up with a turd. And that that's just life, that sometimes things don't work out. And she kind of joked and said, what kind of mother would put a dog turd? It would never happen. A mother would never put a dog turd into an egg to teach her child a lesson. But dads, some dads, maybe would. And so I think it just illustrates that men and women are different. And the way that we teach is different. And the things that we highlight and notice about the world and see about the world are different. And so fathers, don't be discouraged if people don't get you or understand you or your life lessons that you're trying to teach your children. They will pay off. They will reward you one day for it. And third... And lastly, a child of God perseveres by the love and the power of God. Romans 5, 2 to 3 says, We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Something that every superhero has is perseverance. A superhero movie with the sign of danger, the hero runs away and gives up would be a horrible movie. That's why Marvel's never made one like that. God has created you to be men and women of God, people who are courageous. People have a, a strength and integrity to stand up for what's right and to war things out in life when you have to. And sometimes life requires perseverance because perseverance, the Bible says, produces in us character. And character produces hope. You know, when we look at the Old Testament, sometimes we look at these stories of faith, these amazing stories that highlight those defining moments of of the men of the Bible. And we think, man, what an amazing person, opportunity that person had to be part of human history and God's history here on the earth. But sometimes we have a warped view. We think that somehow this person was just always like that. The characteristics that they had in them, they just always had. But the truth is they were human beings just like you and me. And they were people that grew in wisdom and in knowledge and in character over time. And often we know very little about the early parts of people's lives. For example, Jesus. We know very little about his life prior to when his ministry kicks off when he's around 30 years old. In the Old Testament, we know a little bit about David, King David. We know that he was a shepherd. And he was tasked with taking care of sheep. And as he was a shepherd, you know, he was being crafted He had the responsibility to take care of these sheep. And so he would lead his sheep. He would tend to his sheep. He would give compassion for his sheep. He would lead them by green pastures to feed them. He would defend them. He had to learn how to use a sling so that he could fend off lions and bears. 
Now, I don't know how many in here would be equipped today to fend off a bear or a lion. Some of you hunters might say, yeah, give me my gun, I'll go at it. But how about I give you a slingshot and we'll see how you do. You know, he was trained up as a young man to, to take care of those sheep, to tend to those sheep, and to protect those sheep. He had years of training with that instrument. You know, that sling that he had was not the equivalent of an eight-year-old boy with a slingshot. Those slings, I don't know if any of you have seen those war movies where they have, like even Lord of the Rings, where they'll have like the big catapults and they'll have the big slings where they take giant stones and they put them in the, the sling and they go, four, you know, and hit the thing. And this huge crater, this ball, flying ball, sometimes they're on fire, hits a, hits a wall and blasts a hole in the wall so that the armies can go through. Well, slings were actually an instrument of war. They were used that when you would put a rock into a sling and begin to sling it, that rock and that velocity and the weight, by the time that, that thing was released and hit somebody, it was a lethal weapon. Think back in the Old Testament. People used to stone people to death. And this type, this type of stone like, could take one stone. You know, so here's little David who's a shepherd in the field, who's been trained in a craft. He has a relationship with God. He's out in the field singing and worshiping God, tending to the sheep. He's compassionate towards the sheep, but he's also a mighty warrior defending his sheep if, if something comes out of the woods to kill one of his sheep. And now he goes to give some food to his brothers who are in the battlefield, and they're facing the Philistines, and there's this giant Goliath who's there just taunting them, saying, who's going to come fight me? And David, because of those years of tending to the sheep in the fields, of growing his relationship with God, of worshiping God, knowing who he is in God, knowing who the God of Israel was, and that the God of Israel was his strength, and learning the skills that he did, fending off the lions and the tigers and the bears. I don't think they were tigers. That was a different movie. Um, that he learned those skills so that when the giant came, he was prepared and he knew what to do. And he's looking around at all these mighty men thinking, well, how was it that none of you know what to do? Someone dare challenge the God of Israel. Go and fight him. God is with you. As we sung about this morning, God is with you. God is for you. So my question for you today is, what has God given you today? What are the things that he is growing in your life today? The skills, the abilities, the talents, the treasures that God has given you today that you think might be worthless but that God is developing and growing in you that are a precious gift so that one day there will be a defining moment that because you were diligent and because you were disciplined in honing that skill, honing your character, honing your development in that area, that God will use you to step out in mighty ways. David didn't know that it would be a sling that would make him famous. I think you guys have gifts and abilities and things that God is trying to develop in you that are mighty weapons for the kingdom of God. And so don't discount anything, even a slingshot, because it can be lethal. So the other thought on that is the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus was the most perfect example of what it means to live a godly life. The Gospels tell us very little about his early years. But we know a little bit about the teachings of Jesus and, and the Gospels about Jesus, his character, and how he was moved with compassion, how he healed and operated in the Spirit of God. You know, in one of his teachings in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This word meek is often used in association with Jesus, that Jesus was weak. 
But unfortunately, our translation of the word meek today often translate as weak. Meek. You know, if you were to pull up a dictionary, it would say gentle, well-mannered, well-behaved. You know, but the definition of meek has actually changed over time. And in some of the old writings, in some of the, the, the Hebrew writings um, that are really, really old, the term meek, what we would translate as meek, would be better translated disciplined. Somebody who is a mighty warrior, who is lethal, like David with his sling, but who is totally disciplined and has the self-control and the wisdom and the discernment to know when to use it. And so think of it this way. Blessed are those who are disciplined, who are well-trained. Blessed are those who have self-control. These types of people will inherit the earth. Men, we need to reclaim our biblical warrior stance. We need to be men who are disciplined, men who have perseverance, men that aren't willing to run away from a challenge, that aren't willing to stand up to a good fight when we need to for what is right, that we will stand for our family, that we'll protect and defend our family and our friends. You know, today we're experiencing circumstances that that are quite challenging in the world today. I recently read a quote that said, a godly man often grows best when his worldly circumstances are in decay. I think it's kind of apt. I don't know if I'd say the world's in decay, but it's definitely in a, in a shaking. We're definitely in a reckoning these days, aren't we? God is moving. God, everything is shifting under our feet. And so we have an opportunity today to hone in what God has given us to be prepared to grow in our relationship with God, to know who we are as men and women of God, and to face this world with confidence because we know who our God is and who is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So I want to challenge you today to remind you to keep going, that if you're feeling tired, keep going. Find rest in God. Keep leading. Keep working. Keep serving. Keep doing what is right. Don't give up. God will give you what you need to get through this season and will equip you with the faith and the perseverance to do it to the end. In Romans 5, 5, in closing, it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Passion puts it this way, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Man, you are mighty. May you be courageous. May you be strong. And may you know who you are in the Lord on this Father's Day. So I'm just going to pray. Father God, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a godly life and to do what is right always. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the gift of discernment. And God, I just pray, Lord, that as men, God, that we would fill our rightful place as leaders. God, that we would 
learn from you what it means to be a man. And Father, that the, the women in this room would be virtuous women of God, that they would know what it means to be a woman. And Father God, that we would never feel ashamed or like we have to apologize for being who we are and what we are when it comes to our, our manhood or womanhood. And Lord, that we would grow in our depth of relationship with you, God, that we would, would be faithful with what you've given us to steward in our lives, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our passions. And Lord, that we would be available and willing when you call us to stand up in our defining moment, to know who our God is and to trust and have faith in you, that you will bring the victory. And so God, I just bless every man in the room and Lord, I pray that you would help him to know who he is and to live it out faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I had this last picture just for measure. I always liked the picture of Superman, that he's like Clark Kent, kind of the seemingly weak, gentle, kind of geeky guy. But underneath, he's all muscle, man of steel. And I feel like that's what we are. You know, sometimes people look at the church and look at like Christians and they think, oh, they're just weak. They're whatever. But what God is building is somebody who's strong on the inside so that in that defining hour, we lead because we were meant to lead the world in a lot of ways and to shine and be God's light in the world in the time of darkness, which is today. So anyhow, church be blessed and uh, feel free to wear your Superman suit under your clothes next Sunday if you like. And uh, happy Father's Day to you. Make sure you, um, you know, give your dads a call or if you haven't and, Knowledge those men that have made a difference in your life. So God bless. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you guys next week. Invite your friends. We have lots of room. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.